I ask you to make your way to Acts chapter 13. Sometimes I have to pinch myself and remind myself I'm alive and I get to do what I get to do. And that's to open up the word and proclaim, thus saith the Lord. And what a great day to do that on the day we set aside on our calendar as Resurrection Sunday. Of course, we know as believers every day should be celebrated, especially Sundays, as Resurrection Sunday. Glad you're here. Acts chapter 13. I've been waiting and waiting to get to this text. And we are there. Uh, Let's get a running start beginning in verse 26 of Acts chapter 13. We're in the midst of Paul's first sermon. And here's what the word says beginning in verse 26 of chapter 13. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, meaning those who have Abraham's blood coursing through their veins, and those among you who fear God would be those who are who have taken circumcision, full proselytes, and also those who are God-fearers, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found him no guilt, in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this is he, this he has fulfilled to us, their children by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm. And now he's going to give you three Old Testament texts to show the fulfillment of the resurrection. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore he says also in another psalm, Psalm 16, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Praise God for that statement. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophet should come about. Here's the fourth one from Habakkuk 1.5. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Christianity stands or falls with the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I said bodily for a reason. Very specific here, not just resurrection, but bodily resurrection. The fact of the resurrection is real. The power of the resurrection is real. And and knowing the resurrected Lord is the most important thing in all of life. Bodily resurrection. It's the culmination of the entire teaching of the Old Testament and the Gospels. That Jesus Christ would conquer sin... And come forth from the grave. Without resurrection, your faith is futile 
and you are still in your sins. The resurrection of Jesus Christ bodily is that important. Dr. Daniel Aiken was my faculty supervisor at Southern Seminary in my doctoral work. And he was uh, a teacher of mine at Southeastern earlier. And now he's the president of Southeastern Theological Baptist Seminary. In his early days, he taught at a college called Criswell College in Dallas, Texas. There was a very intelligent man that communicated with Criswell Bible by phone and said, uh, I would like to come and live in an evangelical community for six months and then write up my experience. And here's the thing. He was an atheist, an atheist, or at best an agnostic. And this is what he wanted to do. So he spent six months. He goes to classes. He attends a pastor's conference in Jacksonville, Florida. He goes to the annual SBC meeting. No telling what he learned there. And then he goes on a foreign mission trip. And so when all this time concluded, the Aikens during the journey had gotten fond of Mike. And so they invited Mike over to have supper with them. And Dr. Aiken asked this one question. After all you've studied and experienced, what is the bottom line of the Christian faith as you see it? And without hesitation, here's what, it's, here's what he said. That's easy. It's Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And he set forth his logic in this manner. If Jesus rose from, the de- rose from the dead, then there is a God. And Jesus is that God. Furthermore, the Bible is true because he said it is true and he believed it. So that means that heaven and hell are real and your relationship with Jesus determines which way you go. Now, folks, I want to tell you that agnostic had better theology than most Baptists. Because, you know, you preach and teach for years and years, and church members don't even get that straight of the fulfillment of who Jesus Christ is. And I think Mike had some good theology. I don't know what his situation is with his life at this point, if he still remains an agnostic. But it highlights the importance, even to a lost man, regarding the truth claim of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul's first sermon in Acts 13 uh, is a phenomenal sermon. If you remember, he's tracked for us Israel's history down to a science. And then he moves to the Christ story. Really a recapitulation of Israel's history with a different ending. Okay? Is what you're seeing. So, in regard to the resurrection... Paul is going to later write, he's probably going to write some of the books as you go through Acts chronologically, okay? Some after. But you know, he wrote 13 epistles. And so when he writes 1 Corinthians 15, that is the, that's the greatest chapter in the Bible on the subject of the resurrection. Remember verse 30 here? But God raised him from the dead. Here's what Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. You know what that means, folks? Y'all might as well pack her up and go home right now. There's no reason for me to preach if there's no resurrection. And then he says, your faith is in vain. And even says this, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about the fact that God raised Christ from the dead. Whom if he did not raise him from the dead, then it's true that there's no resurrection and the dead aren't raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Don't you love when you read down through 1 Corinthians 15 and he says, but he has been risen, right? That means your faith is not futile. And if you're saved, you're not still in your sins. So Paul shows that everything stands and falls on 
the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. J.W. Shepherd said, The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the keystone in the arch of all Christianity. It's the seal of all of his claims, of his Messiahship and his divine sonship. Without the resurrection, he could not be our divine Savior. Thank God for the resurrection. Matthew records it this way. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he has been resurrected. Just as he said, come see the place where he lay. Don't you love just a pure word of God to teach us of the resurrection? Matthew 28, 5 through 6. So today, you remember I spent two sermons on the crucifixion. Talked about the fact that the crucifixion was public. It was painful. It was planned by God. It was payment for our sins. And it's precious to those who believe. Last week we unpacked what it means to be hung upon a tree. How it fulfills Deuteronomy 21, 23. Cursed is the one who is hung upon a tree. We talked about how in Galatians 3 that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law. And there's no salvation or righteousness apart from Jesus. And then you get to Paul's explanation of the resurrection. That's what we're going to camp out on today. Y'all ready? Just three simple things today. First, the resurrection confirms Jesus' identity. If you back up to verse 27, it says, For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances given by the prophets. And now Paul's going to turn around and say to them, Jesus' identity is proved and confirmed because God brought him forth from the grave. You didn't recognize him. You gave your verdict of who Jesus was. And the Jews and the Romans were morally culpable. They crucified the Lord Jesus. That's the verdict they gave. The verdict they gave is you're an imposter. Cursed is the one who's hung upon a tree, right? There's no way you can be the Messiah if you're going to be hung upon a tree. Of course, they didn't understand that he would be a crucified Messiah and that he would come forth from the grave and that he would bear our curse on Calvary. But the fact is, they saw him as an imposter. But Paul says here, notice how he words this. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. And we bring you the good news that, we, that what God promised to our fathers has come to fruition. We'll, we'll unpack that in a few moments. But it's his identity. So here is Jesus nailed to a tree, taken down from the tree, placed in a tomb. And the Bible says that God raised him from the dead. That's one of the greatest but God statements in all the Bible. But God raised him from the dead. Now, in their minds, they thought they had put their thumbs on Jesus and he was gone. Right? They thought they had done away with the Lord. And again, man gives his verdict. They didn't recognize him. Jesus said, or John says of Christ, he came into his own and his own received him not. But God gives his verdict. As one old preacher said, the resurrection was God's amen to all that Christ had accomplished. Right? The glorious resurrection. Again, listen to Isaiah 53.10. Remember, that's probably one of the passages that would have been spoken in the synagogue that day. Normally, on a synagogue day. Listen to what Isaiah 53.10 says. Yet, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days. What does prolong his days mean? That he's going to live. That he's going to have life. When you get over to 1 Timothy 3.16, it says in the Word of God that Jesus was manifested in the flesh, 
That's what you celebrate at Christmas. That's the incarnation. But he was vindicated by the Spirit of God. And what is the ultimate vindication of Christ's identity? It is the resurrection. If he didn't come forth from the grave, all the Bible prophecies are false, and he is not the Messiah, nor the divine Son of God. But he did come forth from the grave. And so, again, it confirms Jesus' identity. Here's how Paul will say it in Romans 1.4. Jesus was declared to be the powerful Son of God by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness. Romans 8.11 confirms the Spirit's work in raising Christ from the dead. And what it means to our lives, listen to this, this is important. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit that lives in you. Y'all know what that means? Now, to trust Christ as Lord means that if you died immediately, you would be in the presence of the Lord. But what happens to your body? Yep, it's buried. It's placed in a box, put in the ground. And guess what's going to happen to your body? It's going to see corruption. But guess what God's going to do one day? Not only is he going to take your soul to heaven when you die, but he's going to come back to resurrect that body. And the point of that verse is, if Christ is not raised, then you have no chance of resurrection. Praise God that he's the first fruit from the dead. And because he was bodily raised, you also will be bodily raised and given a body like unto his. Glorified. Given to us. So there's that identification of Christ and what that means for us. Now, the fact is, the religious leaders, all they had to do was produce a body and Christianity was over. Y'all do know that, right? Just produce a body and Christianity is over before it ever gets a running start. Because a dead Savior can't save anyone. Just produce the body. And, the, and as Paul is preaching, he's saying to them, you religious leaders were at the center of religious life. Right there in Jerusalem. And you crucified him. But his witnesses are still there in Jerusalem preaching that he is alive. Y'all see the connection? You're identifying him as dead and gone. But we're identifying him as alive. And we're witnessing to that fact. We're bearing witness that Jesus Christ has come forth from the dead. You know, there are various... Uh, explanations of what happened that day. I mean, what really happened at the tomb? I mean, did he come forth from the grave? You know what this preacher believed, right? Straightforward from the Word of God. However, there are numerous theories out there. There's the spirit theory. And you know what that means? That Christ wrote, he came forth in spirit and went to his father, but he didn't have a body. What do you think about that? It was just a spirit resurrection and not a bodily resurrection. And then you've got what's called the hallucination theory. I mean, it just gets better as you go through. And this means that the disciples were so awestruck, down in the dumps, uh, life had been turned upside down, that they hallucinated and said they saw Jesus by hallucination, but in fact, they didn't see him. Well, then you've got the vision theory. That means that, I don't know if they were asleep or something they ate caused the vision. I don't know, but they had a vision. And they saw Jesus, but in reality, he didn't come forth from the grave. There's the legend theory. And that says, well, it's all a hoax. Needless to say that every single extra-biblical historian that lived during the time of Christ wrote that Jesus Christ was born in Nazareth, lived, and was crucified. 
Not just the Bible, every historian, Josephus, Eusebius, mark her down. Every one of them knew he lived and knew he died and was crucified. So, legend theory, yeah. How about the stolen body theory? Y'all know that comes from the Bible, right? Matthew chapter 28, verses 12 through 13, we learned that the religious leaders told the soldiers, we're going to pay you a sum of money, and you tell everybody that the soldiers, that, that the disciples came and stole his body away. And to this day... The Jews still stick to that story in, in many circles that his body was stolen away. And then you've got the wrong tomb theory. All that means is they went to the wrong tomb. And his body's really there. They just didn't go to the right tomb. And then you've got the swoon theory. Well, he really wasn't dead. He was swooning. And when they put him in the cold dampness of that tomb, his body just awakened and up from the grave Seemingly resurrection, but not. He just came back too from being knocked unconscious. We all think about all that. Well, one clear fact is that these early disciples proclaimed boldly and fearlessly what could have been snuffed out simply by the religious leaders producing a body. Folks, you don't realize how important that is. No bodily resurrection, no Christianity. All they had to do was find the body. There is uh, evidentiary witness and reality of our faith. Y'all do know that, right? I mean, some of the guys are lawyers in here. And, you know, Paul gives his lawyer brief. But here's what we're prone to believe as Christians. Well, you know, it's just something we believe in our heart. And what I believe in my heart is good enough for me. And, and I don't understand all the questions. And I don't know how to deal logically with, with the Scripture and how to defend my faith. But he lives in my heart. That's all that matters. We even sing a song about that, don't we? He lives... He lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my... Who cares? What does that prove? Hello? What does it prove for you to say, well, He lives in my heart? Well, that doesn't prove the tomb is empty and He's alive. But the Bible says that the tomb was empty... And in 1 Corinthians 15, he was seen not by one, not by two, but 500 people at one time. You know, in a, in a court brief, lawyer's brief, that's a book closed, buddy. Case over, right? 500 witnesses at one time. So I want to remind you that our faith is a faith that demands a verdict. Our faith has evidentiary reality. It's real historical facts grounded in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's not just a warm fuzzies or just thinking something is true, hoping something is true. Folks, it's a reality. It is a reality given to us. I love how F.F. Bruce says this. The early Christians did not believe that Jesus was risen because they could not find his body. They believed they had found Jesus when they first began to proclaim Jesus in public as the risen Lord, they did not say we found his tomb empty, but they said we saw him alive. Isn't that awesome? We saw him identified as the Lord Jesus Christ come forth from the grave. So the resurrection confirms Jesus' identity. Now you Baptists, don't get your feelings hurt with me because I smashed he lives, he lives. I, mean, I can tell how you're looking at me. The song is okay. And I'm glad he lives in you, but well, we make major mistakes nowadays in our world to think that, that you can't defend your faith. Folks, we have a highly defendable faith. 
that we must defend and fight for because it's a reality. Show us a body if it's not. Prove us wrong was the message of the disciples. How in the world can you explain this group of men attacking this world without a sword, just the word of God and their voices, and they were willing to die for that cause? I tell you why, because they saw him alive. He's alive, folks. That changes everything, doesn't it? So the resurrection of Jesus Christ confirms Jesus' identity. Second, this is very important. The resurrection of Jesus Christ fulfills biblical prophecy. And in 32 through 37, this is how Paul is going to expound this. Remember, he says, this was promised to the fathers. This was given to you. And when he's expounding the fulfilled prophecy, he's giving us the Old Testament references of who Jesus would be and what the Bible says. Sometimes we say, the Bible proves the resurrection. I'd like to twist that around and tell you that the resurrection proves the validity of the Bible. Because the Bible said he was going to resurrect, therefore the resurrection proves, it verifies, validates, thus saith the Lord. What happened to Jesus? Exactly what the Bible said was going to happen to Jesus Christ. So the resurrection is the fulfillment of Moses and all the prophets. And so Paul picks that up in chapter 2, I mean, excuse me, down in verse 33, he gives us a quotation from Psalm 2, verse 7. And what does that say? It says, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And so Psalm 2, 7 to Paul is a fulfillment of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Begotten doesn't mean created. It means declared and pronounced. So in other words, where Psalm 2, 7 says, I'm proclaiming you. The David, uh, Paul picks it up and says the ultimate proclamation is the fact that Jesus Christ fulfilled the scriptures and God has put him forward and declared him to be the Son of God with power. Fulfilling Old Testament scripture. And then Paul moves to a citation of Isaiah 55, 3. I will give you... I will give to you the holy and sure blessings of David. Now, who's listening to this sermon, folks? The Jewish fathers. I know they're in a synagogue in uh, Pisidian Antioch, but here's what they're hearing. They're in a synagogue. There's full-blooded Jews there. And Paul begins to say, here's the second thing you need to know. Not only is uh, he begotten of the Father, in other words, pronounced to you to be the Son of God by his resurrection, but also he is the fulfillment of the sure blessings given to David. Now, folks, you, you know how important David is, right, in Jewish history? There was no king like David. Well, what was the sure blessing and mercy given to David? What did God tell David? I'm going to put a king on the throne. Now, how can you get a king on the throne forever when every one of them rascals died? Well, the only way you can get a king on the throne forever is resurrection. Amen? Do you see why Paul brought it up? I'm going to put a king on the throne forever. And what did the resurrection do? It fulfilled that Old Testament prophecy. I hope you all understand that there's not a single prophecy ever been given in the Bible that's not going to be fulfilled. Every single one of the promises in the Word are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And so that's the fulfillment God takes David's greater son and fulfills the sure mercies to David. I'm going to put a king upon your throne forever. And that king wasn't David. That king 
was the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he's going to move to one more. Therefore he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. Was this fulfilled in David? David said it. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. Did David see corruption? The Bible says that David served the Lord in his own generation. He fell asleep and was buried and saw corruption. What about Jesus? In Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching on Christ. And he says, now if you're considering David, you need to go over and check out David's tomb. You can even put some flowers on it. That's not written there, but that's really what he's saying. You can visit David's tomb. And if you could open it up, what are you going to find in David's tomb? You're going to find the dust of his remains. Better yet, you're going to find what's left after he's been eaten by worms. That's what the word corruption means. His body saw corruption. But ladies and gentlemen, that's not true about David's greater son. Jesus Christ's body was placed in the ground, but only three days, and he never saw corruption. Right? He was raised victoriously. Here's the lesson. David served the Lord. I'm going to come back and preach that, by the way. God, what a sermon for us today. He served the Lord in his own generation. By the will of the Lord, he fell asleep, yet his body saw corruption. But here's the flip side of that. David was temporal and limited. He was an earthly king that died. That's not true with the heavenly king. This king had no beginning. Malachi, uh, Micah 5, 2 says he's the ancient of days given to us. He's the eternal son of God who has no beginning and will never have an end. And that's who he's dealing with here. David was buried and guess what? His body saw corruption. But Christ Jesus is the fulfillment of the sure mercies of David. Now let me take step up one more time for some of you Bible theologues. Y'all like to think about the Bible? The Bible says in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, that God called Israel his firstborn. Now that, that's a pretty huge compliment, right? To say, Israel, you are my firstborn. And then, how did Israel do before God? Not good. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 10 says, these guys were given to you as an example to show you not what to do. Right? They didn't do what they were supposed to do. And they failed. And they died. But here we speak of Jesus Christ. The Bible calls him the second Adam. And what did Jesus do? Jesus stood at the temple gate and said, I am the true vine. Y'all know Israel was called the vine, right? Jesus said, I am the true vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So whereas Israel failed, didn't bring God ultimate glory, Jesus Christ, the second Adam, the Son of God, come down from heaven, is the very one who fulfilled everything God asked him to do and then gave his life on Calvary. And he died, but he didn't stay dead. Amen? He resurrected and it rebounds to the glory of the Lord. So we may say that the story of Jesus is a recapitulation of Israel's history, yet Jesus didn't fail. Right? He is glorious forever. This is why the writer of Hebrews is so adamant that we don't turn away from the faith. We don't turn away from Jesus. Why? Because folks, you don't have anywhere else to go if you turn away from Jesus. Are y'all listening? I know it's Easter Sunday morning, about to snow outside. Are you listening? <laughs> Listen, folks. If you turn away from Jesus, you have nowhere else to go. Because He fulfilled everything. 
You have nowhere else to go. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, don't turn back in apostasy. Don't say that you've trusted Christ and then you go back to the law as a means of salvation. If you do that and drift away, you will apostatize. How many of you gospel-believing people ever just sit around and start thinking, you know what, the gospel is just too good to be true. You ever sit around thinking about that? I mean, that's just too good of a thing to happen to me. You ever think, you know, nothing ever really good happens to me. How in the world could the gospel of Jesus Christ be true? When you consider how ordinary you are, how sinful sinful you are, and how extraordinary the gospel of Jesus Christ is, it is truly unbelievable, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine those guys sitting there that day hearing that sermon? And Paul is just one after another counting down the things that took place in their history. And he talks about the Jesus story and he says, you didn't recognize him, you crucified him, put him on a tree, God raised him from the dead, fulfilled David's mercy given to him by God, body did not see corruption, come out of the, can you hear him thinking, I know that story, I know that story, I know that, whoa, what did you just say? And Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all that. Could you, could you just imagine them thinking that day, man, this is just too good to be true. You know why? Because the gospel is awesome. It is incredible to think that the God of eternity, he doesn't owe you a thing, nothing, and yet he's willing to come down from heaven to initiate saving your soul. That's an awesome thing, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ, what an awesome thing. He was crucified and nailed to a tree and resurrected, and this is the gospel. By the way, I've been pounding on this. If somebody asks you what the gospel is, please don't say God has a plan for my life. Please don't say, well, the gospel is asking Jesus into your heart. No, it's not. The gospel is the life, death, and burial, and resurrection of the king. And ascension into heaven. That's what the gospel is. You got to say what the gospel is, and that's what it is. Now, you may say something different about what salvation is, but I'm telling you the gospel. There's only one gospel. It's the life, death, burial, and resurrection of the king. That's the gospel. That's what we must submit our lives too. And finally, the resurrection guarantees the promise of forgiveness and justification for all who trust in Christ. Now, if you're a preacher like Brother Richard and others in here like Brother Dale, you, you want to take the sermon and apply it to people's lives, right? So Paul's done two things. He said that Jesus Christ is identified by his resurrection for who he is. He fulfills all the prophecies in the Bible and then he turns around and says... I'm just giving you an academic exercise and I want you to think about what I told you and you can go home. Is that what he does? Does he make this on an academic level only? I mean, he gives a bunch of history, tells you what happened. Does he do it just so you'll have knowledge up here? No, listen to what he says. The Bible says, let it be known to you therefore. When you see the word therefore, you've got to find out what it's there for. It's there for a purpose, right? And here's the purpose of the sermon from, Pete, from Paul. The Bible says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Folks, do you know what a joy it is for me to stand here and preach the word and tell you in this congregation this morning that the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you? Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed. Just like Paul proclaimed it in that synagogue that day. What was the, you know, there are preachers who preach to felt needs. They try to figure out what kind of felt needs the people have and they twist the scriptures to meet those felt needs. 
That's not good preaching. There's one felt need above all felt needs. You need forgiveness of sins. I know I get that right. I don't have to fish for your felt need. If you're lost today, your biggest situation is the guilt that you feel for your sins. And you know full well if you're honest with God, you can't get rid of that guilt. No matter how much you try to obey the law, no matter how many things you try to do to remove the guilt, it's impossible to remove that guilt. But this text says, forgiveness of sins is offered to you. And I know how humanity thinks because I are one. Right? We know what we are. And you're thinking in your mind, hmm, you know, that sounds good. And that sounds like truth for someone else. But it's not truth for me. I can do my own thing, have my own way, do my own thing. But this is a universal truth no matter if you believe it or not. You haven't changed who God is. And you haven't changed the fact that you need forgiveness. And if you die in your sins, you will be separated from God. Forever. And so, Paul knows that. He loves the people enough to tell them that they've got a bomb strapped around their neck. And that bomb's going to go off one day. And if you leave this world without knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it will be eternal damnation forever. The most unlovely thing I can do today is tell you you're going to be fine. The most unloving thing I can do is say, you know what? Just go ahead and sin all you want to. In the end, it'll all pan out. Folks, that's not true. The Bible gives us the understanding that we need forgiveness of sin. My prayer is that this will grab you in your brain. That you'll take a sticky note and stick it in the sticky side of your brain. Right? You see them little sticky note things? You need it in your brain to remind you that before God, we are all sinners. He doesn't say consent to the argument. He says, here's the application of the sermon. You need forgiveness of sins. For all mankind, we need forgiveness. And the awareness of sins and the sense that we need to be forgiven. And then don't you love these words? Not only forgiveness of sin, which means to cancel a debt, but the Bible says here that he who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. In other words, here's what Paul says. I offer you today forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. And I offer you perfect acceptance before the Father in heaven with a justification that is free. You can't do one single thing to merit it or work for it. Y'all see that text? Did I make that up? Law, uh, justification, free from the law. Woo! Just think about that. All of life working, thinking that obeying certain things are coming to church. Some of you are naive enough to think that your church attendance saves you. Or it's uh, uh, honoring your dad or your mom. Or it's uh, being good to people. Folks, those things don't save you. By the works of the law, Romans 3.20, will no man ever be made right with God. Don't you love to see the words on the Scripture? In the, <laughs> grace given to you, free from God, not keeping the law. Why? Because Jesus Christ obeyed the law forever perfectly. So the law-free justification is given to you by a gift from God. Why? Because Jesus Christ fully and finally fulfilled the law of God because He never sinned. And when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, according to this text, 
you believe you're given a, you're free from everything from which you could not be free by the law of Moses. We know that the law of Moses could never save. Only Jesus Christ saves. Faith in Jesus justifies. You'd say, what is it that justifies me? The Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word, but it is believing by faith the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, for by grace are we saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This salvation, by the way, if you could work to get it, then who gets the glory? You do. But God arranged salvation in such a way that He gets the glory because He fulfills the salvation and offers it as a free gift to you. And who gets the glory when God does it all? That's good. You passed. Who gets the glory? God gets the glory because He saves us by grace through faith. Again, please listen to verse 41. Look. Verse 40. Beware therefore lest what is said in the prophet should come about. Y'all know where that's coming from? That's Habakkuk 1.5. We're almost finished. Habakkuk 1.5. What's the story? What's going on behind the scenes in Habakkuk 1.5 for Paul to say, Look, you scoffers. You know, we probably got scoffers in this building. And as you're hearing the truth, you're saying, Bogus. Don't want to hear it. Well, God's sovereign whether you want to hear it or not. Are y'all listening? He's sovereign over your life whether you want to hear it or not. That's the authority of this book. And God says, for you scoffers, one of these days it's going to be too late. He says to these scoffers that I had a plan back in Habakkuk. And you know what God's plan was? He raised up the Chaldeans to attack his own people because of their sin. And you know what the, you know what the Israelites said? God, you would never do such a thing. I, we don't believe your plan. We don't believe that you raised up the Chaldeans in order to persecute your own people. Well, Paul takes those words and turns around and says, God has done a plan in your day that's going to blow your mind. And that plan is Jesus Christ. Are y'all listening? That plan is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's a reminder, folks, with all the passion I have to say to you, to reject God's plan is to reject God. To reject God's Son is to reject the only means of your salvation. Don't reject Jesus Christ. That is the only plan for redemption for mankind. And again, listen to it, reiterate. Look, you scoffers, those who don't believe, those who just, what this gospel, this plan of God, be astounded, listen to this, and perish. Folks, that's serious. That's eternal separation from God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only one unique Son that whoever believes in Him will not it's in John 3.16, isn't it? It's a danger. that if you don't trust Christ as Lord and believe in the gospel, you will perish. To God be the glory. That if you believe, you have eternal life. Praise the Lord for the gospel. So in rem reminding you, He is the risen Lord. As one Buddhist said to one of my former professors, as he was sharing the gospel with him, he said this, a Buddhist, if this Jesus really did come back to life from the dead... He did something that no one else could have ever done. If that is true, he would have the right to make a claim on every person that no one else could. Guess what? He can make a claim on your life that no one else can. Because he's God and he's the Lord. Some of you are here and you think, Pastor, I can't get rid of this guilt. I exercise. 
I try therapy, I have diets, I take medication, I do every countless remedy, and I cannot get rid of this guilt. I'm telling you that Jesus Christ is the only one that can remove your sin guilt and take away your guilt. The Bible says, but there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's therefore now no guilt to those who are in Christ Jesus. Rest in the grace of Jesus, folks. What's the ultimate thing God wants from you if you're lost today? He wants your sin. That's what He wants. To bear your sin debt. That's what He did on Calvary. So, listen to this song. Crown Him with many crowns, the Lamb upon His throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of Him who died for thee and hail Him as thy matchless King through all eternity. That's why we were singing today. Listen to the second verse. Crown in the Lord of life who triumphed over the grave and rose victorious in the strife for those he came to save. His glories now we sing who died and rose on high who died eternal life to bring and lives that death may die. That's awesome. What a song. So here's what we're doing today. We're going to crown him the Lord of life. Perhaps you're you don't know the Lord this morning, and today you would be able to sing that song. Crown him the Lord of my life. The gospel is simple, isn't it? It's simple. It's the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you know him today? Have you put your faith in him? The real historical reality of who the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is. And for you, have you repented and believed in Jesus Christ only for salvation? This, this invitation is for you on Resurrection Sunday we're celebrating that you can leave this place today with full pardon for your sins. Man, that's good, isn't it? Amnesty. You can leave today with absolute, complete amnesty. Pardoned from your sin. Paid for, past present, future, forever by Jesus Christ. Man, that's just too good to be true, isn't it? It is that good. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news for sinners. Thank God for it. Let's pray. God, thank you for the good news of the gospel. God, I, I thank you for the opportunity to stand today and preach the gospel. To give out and talk about the fact that you were hung upon a tree, but the grave could not hold you and you resurrected to fulfill all that the Scripture said of you. And Lord, today, because you are Lord, you can offer forgiveness of sins and free justification apart from the law. God, we thank you for it. By grace have we been saved through faith. That not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works. Given to us from you as a gift. God, if there's someone here lost today, would you save them? For those who are scoffers, would you make them sensitive to your spirit? Break them with whatever it takes to get their attention. And God, I pray for saved people today that we will stand on the truth of your word and the reality of the scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.